And then we just sampled that and played it like a musical instrument. And we pitched it down. Legend has it that it was written by the Dark Ones. They Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirls the candy music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better in the dark. Ferguson? And I'm Christopher Lee. No, I'm no, not. he's not. I'm not. It's Tom DJ doing his voice thing again. <laughs> I'm sorry. After the last one where you did uh, yes. the Joker so well, I think you're really getting into this. You're getting back in touch with your radio route. There, my inner radio star, I guess. Mm-hmm. So how are y'all folks doing? We're back again with another episode of Better in the Dark. And a yearly tradition here at Better in the Dark. Much of a tradition as you can have when we've only been on the air for two years. Well, hopefully it's going to be a tradition where we're going to do this every year. Where once again, we look at some of our favorite horror movies. In this case, what we're doing is, as with the last year's Halloween show, we're dealing with horror films that you might not normally think of when you're getting ready for a Halloween marathon. Because, of course, people are going to think of the Halloween films. They're going to think Friday of... Friday the 13th. And Freddy. So, and, you know, yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with those movies. I'm a very big fan of Nightmare on Elm Street movies myself. I know a lot of people and like heck, We went through an entire 90-minute episode oh, Lord. Yeah. talking about Halloween. It's not that there's anything wrong with those movies, but there are so many others that are out there that are worth revisiting if you've seen them before or if you haven't seen them before. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can turn you on to something you haven't seen before and really give you more bang for so your buck. So that's box. exactly what we're doing. These are just suggestions to have a fuller, more wonderful Halloween celebration for this year of 2008. We just want to also take a few seconds before we get to the email to talk about some changes that are going to be happening very, very soon. They might actually start changing by the time you get this. Oh, okay. We finally had our fill of Potomatic. Because they were jerking us around in there for a while, folks. They was giving Tom the screaming fits. <laughs> yeah, some of you may have noticed that a recent episode did not go up to Wednesday. It had been posted on Sunday. It's just that Potomatic had dragged its feet on posting it because of a problem with the payment. Right. They didn't acknowledge the payment until I sent them an email and screamed at them. And he's good at that, folks. Trust me. Yeah, well, once I did my Joker voice, it was... Oh, yeah, well... Do you want me to come over there (laughs) and straighten you out? (laughs) So what's going to happen is in the next couple of weeks, and we will put a little advisory on the front of future episodes, as this happens, we're going to start slowly moving old episodes onto the new site in preparation for 
starting to broadcast new episodes from this site. The access is going to be through probably a live journal or a blog spot we're, section. Yeah, we're thinking about doing a better than the dark live journal where yeah. you can access the new episodes from there as well as the old ones. Right. right. We're going to make it more like a community so they'll you'll be able to contribute your own stuff. So it'll be almost like a forum. Right. So which is something that a lot of people have been asking us to do in the past that we've been kind of dragging our feet on as well. Well, actually, I've been dragging my feet on that because I was supposed to be getting in touch with mm-hmm. a gentleman, one of our listeners, Eric Frome. I did ask him about it one right. time, and he said, well, whenever you get ready, let me know. So I've been dragging my feet, but I'm going to get cracking on that. My hope is later this month I'll start the transference. And the goal is hopefully that we'll have everything transferred by the turn of the year, time for our anniversary. Because we have an anniversary coming up. Not only are we coming up on our second year anniversary, which will be, of course, Super Bowl weekend, 2009. Uh-huh. You know, we started football season this week. <laughs> football. Football. The goal is that... Y'all should have just seen the little dance around, he did. It was so cute. <laughs> around the time of the 50th episode, we will be permanently ensconced in our new... Situation. That's right. We got a fiftieth episode coming so, up. Yeah, so. guys, do not be alarmed when you start seeing some of those earlier episodes disappear because we will be giving you a location where you can get them. So it's a slow process, but we're all going to get to the promised land together. The <laughs> ultimate thing about this is it's a better service we're going to be using. That's going to cost us less money, which mm. means we can devote more money to making these better episodes. In terms of quality. It's always a good thing. Yeah. But we just wanted to let you guys know what was going on so that you won't freak out if you start seeing episodes disappear and vanish and they're just being moved to another right. service. Next business. I, business. We got some email. What we got? Oh, we got email. email. Okay. Email. He's doing the dance again, yeah. folks. The first one is from DW, who is a new writer. Hey, Tom and Derek. My name is DW, and I am a video game correspondent for everyone's favorite geek culture site, Earth2.net. We, as you know, many times have talked about the wonders many, that many is Earth2.net, Michael David Sims' little brainchild that he runs with his common-law whoopee, Jen. From the suggestions of my fellow E2 brethren, I started listening to the podcast about a week and a half ago. I have a rather tenuous job, and I need a lot of audio to get through the day. And I must say, you guys are a welcome addition to my lineup. I still have about a half a dozen episodes left before I catch up, but I have to say the chemistry that you two share is great. From Derek's blunt honesty to Tom's sudden bursts of rage, (laughs) I find myself holding in my laughter on a regular basis for fear of disturbing those around me. The Marvel at the Movies episodes were particular favorites of mine, and I'm greatly looking forward to the DC-centric recaps in the future. While I admit the cinema is far from my area of expertise, a majority of my childhood was spent with a controller in my hand, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for genre movies, particularly those with a superhero theme, and it's always good to hear about new movies I've never seen or even new perspectives on those that I have. In closing, I just wanted to say keep up the good work and remind everyone to visit earth2.net for my rousing video game reviews and semi-frequent appearances on Dread Media. Sorry for the plugs, but one Michael David Sims would kill me if I didn't pimp the site. Much love, DW. Well, thank you, DW. And no, we do not mind the plugs at all. I mean, at this point, it seems like there's almost a trade agreement between Earth2.net and us. Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind the plug at all, listen, we are more than happy to be generous and share the information with people. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we've mentioned before that we love about the podcasting community is it's very supportive as opposed to the other community we came from, which was almost antagonistic towards each other. Oh, yeah. We ain't going to go into that. We're not going to go into that. But I think that you hit... DW hit and a I think, I'm not sure. I think DW wrote an article that I read once on Earth.net about some of the worst video games he's ever played. 
that was hilarious. Well, was see if you can find it for me. Right. Like said, but I just wanted to touch on something he said, and I think that that part of the majority of why this podcast has been so successful and been embraced by so many people is because of the chemistry between me and Tom, because we actually love the talking about movies, and we'd be doing it anyway, right. even if it wasn't on a podcast, we'd be running our mouth We're about We're just sharing movies. our blather with you. A lot of times, like, I'll hear some of these podcasts, and I wonder if these guys are even in the same room with each other, because it sounds like they're disconnected from each other. And well, you know, DW mentioned Desmond, mm-hmm. the father of our junior correspondent, Mr. Cade Reddick. And we've got something from Des, actually. Okay, so let's get to it. Okay, hey guys, love the latest show. Cade really dug hearing himself when we finally got him to simmer down and listen. If you want to use that, that's cool, but here are a few better sound files. I've included a version with Go Watch and Go See. His tendency is to say watch instead of your see, and my wife thinks he should be given creative license. But of course it's up to you. He'll dig it regardless. He does have creative license. Far be it from us to tell him what to say. Let him say it. And of course Des does his weekly show, Dread Media, which just celebrated its first year anniversary. Wow. So much props to you, Des. The thing that amazed me, I've said this before, is he gets some great interviews. Mm -hmm. And if you love horror fiction, not just horror movies, if you love horror fiction, if you love horror comics, you gotta check him out, because he covers everything, and he's got that really laid-back, kind of deep voice, which you Mm -hmm. heard about Mm -hmm. in our last review episode. Which is very addictive. And also, I want to give a little shout-out to Tom Caters. I just discovered his podcast. It was originally called Tom vs. the JLA. Oh, Tom, that was Tom vs. the Flash. Tom vs. Yeah, the Flash. Right. Oh. It's a very simple concept. What he does is he reads an issue of, well, at least be the JLA, now it's the Flash, mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And he spends about ten minutes talking about it and having fun with it. Mm. And That's cool. Otherwise, just enjoying himself. It's such an enjoyable podcast. It's one of these like what I call popcorn podcasts mm-hmm. because it is such a short time commitment that you can like listen to it for ten minutes. You're done. He has inspired me to do a little something about the pile of essentials and. Oh, you sounds like you've been thinking again. Well, yes, I've been thinking again. <laughs> essentials, <laughs> and so that's probably going to be coming out about the same time as the new sign is coming out. Which oh, is okay. Something along these veins. Let's start with Green Lantern. Tom just started going through the Flash. Mm-hmm. If you want to check his stuff out, it's at Tom versus VS JLA.lipson.com. And that might give you kind of a hint about where we're going, actually. Yes. I'm just might. saying, is all. We're just saying. So, have we dispensed with. I think so. All the things so we can get down to what the people have come here for. But first, a message from our sponsors. From fertility rights to human sacrifice, Christopher Lee and Bert Eklund star in Anthony Schaffer's internationally award winning fable of the ancient gods, The Wicker Man, the most controversial film of the decade. I am Lord Summerhill. You say we are barbaric heathen. You say. Our sexual rituals are perverse. You say we committed murder. I say you are fools. I say we know the true way of the greatest God. I say your sexual practices are deviant. We love the flesh, even as we burn it. Ah, the sweet smell of burning flesh. The Wicker Man, a tale unfolding in mystery and ending in an all-consuming revelation of Oh my god! Rise! At the Meadowbrook Cinema 6. 
the sweet smell of tender flesh burning. You like that, don't you? <laughs> it's, you know what it reminds you me of? You sit right at home okay. on an island. When I heard that line, it re- for some reason I had this picture of this little Simpsonized Christopher Lee going, mm, human flesh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can almost imagine Montgomery Burns yes, doing that. Yes. In case you're wondering, well, we're now going to start talking about yeah. potpourri style like we always do. Yeah. Our favorite choices. I guess, as you no doubt figured out, my first choice today is 1972's amazing British horror film, The Wicker Man. Sometimes known as Anthony Schaffer's The Wicker Man. Right. One of the most, for me, horrifying movies I've ever seen. It doesn't have a lot of blood in it. doesn't have a lot of gore. I kind of suspect that it's not going to appeal to a certain age group because mm-hmm. it doesn't have the blood, it doesn't right. have the gore. But if you sit down and give this movie a chance, you'll sit there and you'll be scared shitless. And we want to once again emphasize, this is the 1972 version, not the recent remake by Neil LeBute. This one was done by Robin Hardy. It was one of only two films I think he's ever done. He's doing a third one, though, finally. He's working on a film with the unlikely title Cowboys for Christ. (laughs) Okay. I'd go see that. And this is also one of these films which is just as interesting for the story behind the film as for the film itself. Yeah, because the production was troubled and when it was released. I don't think anybody knew exactly British what Lion. to make. Yeah. yeah, British Lion, which was the company that had agreed to produce the film, had gone through a number of changes in ownership. In fact, they rushed The Wicker Man into production along with Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. Oh, okay. So they could have something to prove that they were an operating film company. Don't Look Now, that's the With Donald, Donald, Pleasant, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. I've got to see that one because I keep hearing for years that this is one of the scariest movies ever made. I've never seen it. And that's it. also one is where you have the urban legend that Sutherland and Christie are actually having sex on screen. Right. So they rushed this film into production. A lot of people gave up a lot. Christopher Lee, to this day, will tell you he did not take a single dime. Right. To be in this film. He said there are some things you just do for love. Yeah, this is like one of favorite... He considers this his favorite film. It's the favorite things that he's ever... Out of all the movies he's done, what he's done like over a hundred yeah. by now. For him to say this is one of his favorites is really saying something. What eventually happened is the people who ultimately owned British Lion, EMI, the Peds just did not understand this movie at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Chris Foley tells a story in this wonderful documentary that is on the recent release of the film. This is the two discs. The two disc set that I brought with me today. That Robin Hardy and Anthony Schaefer and, and Chris Foley were called into a meeting with the new owner. And he said, well, what did you think of this film? And Chris Foley said, well, I, I actually think it's one of the best films I've ever made. Okay. And this guy said, I think it's a piece of shit. <laughs> Where's the studio here? What do yeah. you expect? It ended up being shoved onto the second half of a double bill in England with Don't Look Now. Okay. Has just like a dumping of both of these movies. Both of which, mind you, have turned into classics. In mm, the yeah, yeah. Years. Okay, now this version that they dumped onto the second bill. Was this the complete version or was this one of the edited versions? This is one because of the, There like, are as many versions of this, supposedly. The version that Robin Hardy considered to be, considered to be the true theatrical version is the version that was sent to Roger Corman for him to consider distribution. Roger Corman looked at him and said, you know, I really like this film. I think you can do a little bit of trimming. Mm-hmm. And it got trimmed down. It was originally 100 minutes to 96 minutes. Okay. It was not a lot of cuts. Well, then, it's not really that long yeah. a movie to begin with. EMI took this cut and gave it to an editor and said, cut it down to 87 minutes. Mm-hmm. 
the version that most people saw when they first saw it in the 70s is that 87-minute version. Which removes the infamous dance that Britt Eklund does in the... It's weird. The dance is there, but they change the order of certain scenes, so... Ah, okay. In the recently restored version, which is the one that recently came out, the Britt Eklund scene happens on the second day. Oh, okay. Whereas it happens in the 87-minute version on the night of the first day. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make a lot of sense then. It makes much better Mm -hmm. sense taking place where it does in the original. Because the very first version I saw of it, I first saw this on Channel 13. And it didn't have the Brit Eklund dance. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the dance My version, yeah. A couple of years later when I got the face. My first exposure to it is even earlier than that. I Mm. saw it on Channel 9. Okay. In a 70-some-odd-minute version that was cut to shit. I mean, it's a testament to the movie that even cut to shit like that, it had a hold on me right from that yeah, first viewing. right. No matter which version I've seen, and I do believe by now I've seen all the yeah. versions, even the ones that are chopped up unmercifully, mm-hmm. it just grabs you and just right. sucks you in. So for those of our listeners who may not know anything about this movie, why don't you run through the plot okay. very briefly. It is the story, at least it purports to be the story... Mm-hmm. Of one Sergeant Howie. Right. Who Played by Edward Woodward, Woodward. Who would go on to fame as the Equalizer. Equalizer. Woodward gets an anonymous tip from somebody on this island off the shore of Scotland called Summer's Island. It's a remote Scottish it's island. It's a privately owned island that a young girl has been missing for several months and is believed dead. And so he goes to Summer's Isle to investigate what oh, he, the disappearance. The disappearance, because at this point we don't know, we don't what's, know. Ha- what's happened. actually happened to the little girl. And almost, or even if there is a little yeah. girl. Because once he gets there, then he starts having Yeah, the first say, thing, everyone's got, oh, no, I, before, <laughs> I haven't seen that child before, Rowan. Almost immediately, there is obviously something wrong in this place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If Sergeant Howie doesn't suspect there's something wrong with the place, when he goes and visits the purported mother of the child, mm-hmm. who claims, oh no, my daughter's right over there, mm-hmm. and I don't know anyone named Rowan. Definitely he knows it when he goes to visit the Green Man Inn to rent a room mm-hmm. while he's conducting this investigation, where he sees the innkeeper and the innkeeper's beautiful daughter, played by Britt Eklund, mm. has, and as much as we have derided her in an episode you haven't heard yet, for being a terrible Bond girl. The Bond girl. This one, yeah. she more than makes up. Which is kind of interesting, Christopher Lee was also in that same Bond Apparently, he was the one who recommended her to mm. Cubby Percoli, because they went from that directly to A Man with a Golden Gun. Oh, okay. She <laughs> indulges in this weird lewd dance to a song called and this is something that's really bizarre about this movie that one of the reasons I love it is that not only is it a horror film mm-hmm. it's a mystery film and it's a musical <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. a full blown musical <laughs> with something like 12 different musical numbers he goes that night and witnesses this orgy out in the woods now it should be mentioned not that he's really really strict Catholic that's one of the interesting things about this movie is how they manipulate his own Catholic beliefs right. and his own repressed sexuality mm-hmm. this guy's got issues but it's interesting how the people on the island work they're on that they're very very normal about it they're like mm-hmm. oh well we believe in the old ways yeah well they're pagan yeah and then of course they, they change their story a bit about this Rowan girl it's like oh well she just passed on mm-hmm. and we don't believe that uh, the spirit dies. Mm-hmm. We believe it gets passed on to the trees and the air and the the hairs. There's a, there's a lot of rabbit symbolism in this yeah. film. Yeah, and then it gets even weirder because the story changes yet again. again. Yeah, because he's noticed that there's pictures of the harvest festival. Mm-hmm. Every year, except for last year. Right. When he goes to investigate into the office of the photographer, he sees that the picture with Rowan 
the harvest had failed. So now he's getting the impression that they sacrificed this little girl for right. a good crop. This is when he goes to see finally Christopher Lee, the guy Lee. Who's, in, who's in charge of the island because his name is his family. He's singing body songs with Ingrid Pitt, who plays the librarian. Yeah. He's like, I want to exhume this body. Because he found the, a grave for this Rowan girl. Yeah. Christopher Lee is like totally amicable. Yeah. And he, tells him the whole background behind Summer's Isle where his grandfather came here because he had a theory that Summer's Isle with its volcanic ash and the, the trade winds was perfect for this breed of apple he had developed. And to get a better breed of worker, he agreed to reinstitute the old pagan religion. Mm-hmm. And as Lee explains... My grandfather did it out of practicality. Mm-hmm. My father did it out of reflex. I do it out of love. Every, all the while, everybody's saying, what do you believe, Sergeant Howie? You don't want to stick around yeah, for our maiden yeah, um, We've talked about this. This is one of the things I really love about this movie, in that after a while, the movie kind of works on you, too, because when you get to the end of the movie, well, one of the things it's almost like you yeah. say, you know something? That asshole deserves yeah. what he got. Another <laughs> thing I love about this movie is yeah. that your perception changes with which he's viewing. Right. The first time you view it, you're following Sergeant Howie. Yeah. And you're not paying attention to what a fucking dick he is. Yeah. And yeah. then when you watch it that second time, it takes on a whole new A whole new me. Yeah, because now you know what's going on. Right. And you can see where he's a willing participant in his own eventual destruction. Anybody with a lick of sense mm-hmm. would have said, you got better get off this island, get some reinforcements, and come right. back. But no, when he, he does finally do it, it's too late. He's such an arrogant ass. He's a terrible cop. Oh, he yeah. spends yeah. more time yelling at these people for being heathens than actually doing investigating, it, doing, doing his job. Ride. He's more concerned with them running around fornicating in the woods. Yeah. Or jumping over fires naked. Nothing wrong with his father. I, I should probably see. make mention, this is something that, that you gave reference to earlier. Mm-hmm. One of the most disturbing nude scenes in the history of cinema. Oh, yeah. Which is all part of the musical thing. Yeah. One night, Britt Eklund, who's in the room adjacent to... Mm-hmm. Sergeant Howie. And he's already been creeped out because they sing this very boring yeah. song about the innkeeper's daughter. daughter. And she's just enjoying it yeah. and she's loving it. And he's saying, well, don't you understand what they're singing about? They're singing about, about you. Her. Yeah. When you're sluttish ways. She don't care. She sings this song, which is a Celtic song of welcome. Inviting him to come over and, and sleep with and her. And have his way with her. And it is one of the most... She's Eklund. literally bouncing off the walls yeah. at one point. She's a beautiful woman. She's got a beautiful body, but it is one of the most uncomfortable nude scenes ever. It just makes you so weirded out. Yeah, you're not getting turned on by it. That's not the purpose of the scene. Although Sergeant Howie is, because like you said, he's so yeah. repressed that... Well, no, he's, he's obviously feeling something, because yeah. the next day there's a scene where she comes and says, I thought you were going to come visit me, and he's, mm. he's so tongue-tied around mm, her. He and he kind of admits, that, like, I wanted to really badly, but <laughs> I'm engaged to be married, and I have to follow my law. Yeah, because he's a virgin. Yeah. This is a guy that is, what, is like his late 30s, but he's kept himself pure for his, his wife. You know, right, his wedding night. Again, that's another interesting angle to this whole plot of this right. story, and it figures heavily into the ending. We don't want to give, although I think we've kind of given people the hint that this doesn't end happily for Mr. Howie. No, it doesn't. The last 20 minutes, which features, among other things, Christopher Lee dressed in drag. That <laughs> itself has to be seen to yeah. be believed. He's, he's one ugly broad. Uh, well, I think he's meant to be an ugly broad. <laughs> I should hope so. Is a truly, truly amazingly bizarre tableau. I remember the first time I saw this ending and like my jaw literally dropped. 
I did not see that ending coming. Right. But it's a marvelous movie and one that should be on everybody's must-see list as far as I'm concerned when it comes to horror. When it comes and to it amazes period. me that there actually is a producer right now, even as we speak, looking to get financing to turn it into a full-blown musical. Which yeah. wouldn't be that hard. It wouldn't be that hard to do because it's already got so much music in there already, yeah. Please avoid that horrible remake. Which totally missed the point of the film. Have you seen the remake? Because I didn't even bother. You could see all the elements that Neil LeBute changed. Mm -hmm. That he had no understanding of what the movie was about. Mm -hmm. The fact that he changed it into an all-female preserve off the coast of Seattle. And made Nicolas Cage into the father of a little small child that Mm -hmm. had been lost. Totally and absolutely changed everything. Very, very. For no reason. It just to be changing it. Shall we move right along to my movie? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to talk about this movie. I know some of you out there, I'm probably going to make you uncomfortable with what I'm going to say. <laughs> but you know something? That's what I'm here for. I'm right. not here to make you feel comfortable. And those of you who might be fans of Richard Pryor or of Eddie Murphy, you've probably heard in the past before how they talked about the role of African Americans in mm-hmm. horror movies. Right. For my black listeners, you know it as well as I do. They don't put black people in horror movies because they did. The movie will be over with 15 minutes. We're not going to put ourselves in that position that the Caucasian (laughs) actors in the movie will do. I cannot count how many movies that I've watched with my friends and we say, oh, well, I wouldn't do that or I wouldn't do that or I wouldn't do this. And as a result, you don't see a lot of horror movies with black people in it. Another reason is that, quite frankly, black people get killed. In right. the first 15 mm-hmm. minutes, we were just talking about Scream 2. The brother, he takes his date to the horror movie mm-hmm. and says, well, I don't like horror movies. He says, why? He says, oh, because, you know, you always see the brother get killed first. Right. And he promptly gets chopped first. up. Right. Yeah. However, there is a movie that I've watched and I've enjoyed. It's not a classic by any means, but it's an interesting movie because it has a primarily African-American cast. Right. It's Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs from 1991. Mm-hmm. This was one of Ving Rhames' first starring vehicles. Right. He if I remember correctly, it also features a lot of people from the cast of Twin Peaks. Yeah, well, Everett Gill is in it. Yeah. He plays the villain. Mm-hmm. Wendy Roby. One of your favorite people is in here, Bill Cobbs, from that TV show right. that you... Uh, uh, the others. Is with A.J. Langer? A.J. Langer, right. yeah. Wasn't she, wasn't she in Twin Peaks? She was in Twin Peaks as well. Uh, this movie takes place primarily in one location. It's a house. Ving Rhames right. is going to break into this house. Mm-hmm. It's a remote, deserted house. It's on the very outskirts of the ghetto where black people right. live at. He's been hearing these rumors for years that there's this fabulous coin collection that's in it. So he's going to break into the house. He enlists the aid of his girlfriend's son, who we never find out his real name. He's just but called Fool. He's just called Fool throughout the whole movie. Because he's small enough to get inside the house and creep inside and let them in. Well, once they get inside the house, they find that they're trapped in there. And it's a psychotic brother and sister who've been kidnapping kids from the neighborhood. Mind you, an incestuous... Incestuous brother and sister. sister. These kids they've been kidnapping, these are the literal people up under Mm -hmm. the stairs. That's where they keep them at. They throw scraps. Yeah. They don't also cut out their tongues and such? They cut out their tongues so they can't talk. And they have a little girl. You don't know if that's really their sister or if it's a girl that they've kidnapped and Mm -hmm. made her think... That she's their sister, but she helps Fool crawl around the house. Because the house is booby-trapped with all of these intricate, Mm -hmm. horrible traps. Fool and the little girl are climbing all around, trying desperately to find a way out of the house, which they can't, because steel shutters have come across and imprisoned them inside the house. It's interesting because it's a Wes Craven movie, first of all. And the only movie that Wes Craven did that I didn't like was that horrible werewolf movie. Cursed. 
curse. Knows how to direct a horror movie. He knows mm-hmm. how to keep the plot moving. It's not a boring movie at all because it's got a primarily African-American cast, which you don't see in a lot of horror movies. It's interesting seeing these various horror conventions that we've used to seeing in a Wes Craven movie stood on their head because now we've got African-Americans that are responding right. to it and not the usual response that we come from Caucasian act, you know, who just like, ah, and then they run away, right. you know, We're looking safe, at this but shit. for how long? They don't run up the stairs, they run down the stairs because they say, oh, well, in horror movies, everybody runs. Which is an interesting point. Have you ever noticed how people in horror movies act like they've never seen a horror movie before? Like me and you. If me and you walked out of here right now, and we walked down the street, and we saw a body that was laying on on the ground, and it had two puncture holes in his neck, what would me and you say? Oh, wow, it's a vampire. Vampire, thank you. Because why? We've seen horror movies. Right. People in, in in horror movies, they see the same thing and say, what do you think happened to him? There's a curious wound on his... <laughs> it always cracks me up every time. This is an entertaining movie. I like it a lot. I don't watch it every Halloween. But every once in a while, I do drag it out. The performances are good. It's Wes Craven. What more do you need to know if you're a Ving Rhames fan? Except him and, and Bill Cobbs and Everett McGill are really like the only named right. actors that are in this movie. Especially Everett McGill, because he makes a great mm-hmm. bad guy. And he, at one point, he's running around in this leather gimp. Yeah. Oh, this leather oh, gimp. With a shotgun. Yeah, with a shotgun. Just yeah. shooting the walls of the, right. of the house. Because the kids are crawling through the right. vents and ducks that are in the wall. And he just pops up and he's got on this bizarre gimp outfit. It's a shotgun. And this around. is the thing that, that I find fascinating about this film, is that it's a economic horror film. They're the crazy, incestuous brother, mama, daddy, are... Well, the rich miserly people in the house. Right. And the neighborhood is Watts. Yeah. One of those, like saying Cabrini Green. To right. Someone who's from yeah. Chicago. That's like shorthand for the worst of the worst. Cabrini Green was also used in another notable movie that had a primarily African American. Uh, Candyman. Candyman. But the brother and sister in this, they own the neighborhood. As we right. find out doing, they are rich. They're crazy as hell, mm-hmm. but they are rich because they do own. A lot of the neighbors. Don't they own Fool's House? Yeah, there's landlords. Right. Which is how the boyfriend knows all these stories mm-hmm. about it. Because you always have one house where it's always rumored. The crazy oh, well, the house. Crazy, right, the crazy house and the old guy that lives there. He's got a fortune in the basement. It's in, by no means a classic of the genre. But it's entertaining. It's a lot of fun. It's a good Halloween movie. Okay. Well, we're going to throw it back to you now. Been cho- uh, this, so, folks, a little, a little Tom, has been, Tom has been waiting to get to this movie for months now. This is a movie which has almost been talked about about three times. Because I think we've had it on the docket three times. And three times I bumped it. Right. And it almost got bumped this time because I almost went with Behind the Mask, The yeah. Rise of Leslie Vernon. Right. Which my, my good friend Dave Devanch over at uh, Geek Savants turned me on to. But no, we're going to talk about this film that a lot of people were talking about when it came out, and then sank without a trace. Yeah. It's amazing that nobody seems to want to talk about this film anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's 2000's The Cell, directed by Tarsem Singh, Mm -hmm. who has since only done one other film called The Fall. The Fall. And previously was a commercial and video director, and uh, written by Mark Protosevic who you might know as the guy who wrote I Am Legend. He's also writing the script for the Thor movie that's coming out in 2010. Ooh, cool. Now, a little bit of backstory about me. I was engaged for four years Mm -hmm. to a young woman who suffered from MPD, multiple personality disorder, which took some getting used to. Don't all women suffer from multiple personality disorder? Not to the extent Jenny had. And the reason I... I just lost our female contingent right there. The reason I bring this up is this film deals a lot with mental illness because of 
my own struggle with it, mm-hmm. and because of my dealing with someone who had the mental illness that is depicted herein, mm-hmm. I can say this is a very accurate portrayal oh, okay. of what it's like you have MPD. Yeah, they're not just BSing their yeah. way through it. It was obvious to you that somebody actually did their research on this. This is the uh, story of a young woman by the name of Catherine Dean. Played by Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer, played by Jennifer Lopez, who is working with a special institute on a highly experimental form of psychotherapy. Using psychotropics and certain feedback routines, she is able to project her personality into the mind of another person Mm. and give therapy directly to the person's brain. In the beginning of the film, we see her with the test subject, a young boy named Edward, Mm -hmm. who has had this traumatic experience with uh, some seals being killed Mm -hmm. and now is totally catatonic. This method is being threatened with having its funding cut off. The heads of the program, played by our good friend Dylan Baker and Marianne Jean-Baptiste, when they get approached by the FBI, mainly Mr. Peter Novak, played by Vince Vaughn. If you're used to Vince Vaughn as Mr. Party Guy, this is as far away as you're ever going to see Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever see the other one where he plays a serial killer? Clay Pigeons. No, I haven't seen that one, no. Get that one, a very good one, where it's an offbeat performance, just like this one. Right. That he plays straight. Novak has just captured a serial killer by the name <coughs> of Carl Starger, played brilliantly, I mm. mean absolutely frickin' brilliantly, by Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah, we love Vincent. Starger has been basically on this rampage where he's been kidnapping women, mm-hmm. taking them to this location in the middle of nowhere where he puts them in a cell, and it's all automated. When mm-hmm. he's taping the whole thing, it takes 40 hours for the cycle to happen. Right. The first time, like, water comes down and then stops. Mm-hmm. The second time, water comes down for a little bit longer, then stops, and it just freaks her out. Third time, the water comes down, the drain closes, cell fills up, the woman drowns. At which okay. point, he then takes the body, bleaches it, so it looks like a doll, suspends himself over it, and in a scene that there's no... Yeah, yeah, I, I know where you're going. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Takes what little pleasure he can in life. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think you do. Now, Starger, it turns out, is really seriously mentally ill and suffers from a rare form of schizophrenia. Which is caused by a virus in his brain sheet. And the virus has overtaken his body. He's gone comatose. There's nothing left, and it's only a matter of time before he dies. But he's already kidnapped his latest victim and put him in the cell. Mm -hmm. And so Novak comes to the, the Institute pleading with Catherine to go into his mind and find the location of this woman. Okay. It's... A situation where she's trying to work her therapy, which usually takes months, in a matter of hours mm-hmm. to save this woman's life. Which means yeah. it's necessary for her to go into the mind of a to total literally lunatic. Enter the mind of a killer. Yeah. And it is a very, very scary place. Oh, yeah. I mean, Thanks partially to the production design by the woman who did... She did one, only did one other movie, which was Bram Stoker's Dracula. And it kind of shows, too, because one of the three personalities... That Starger has is a character that's called the King, who has this incredibly long cape. I mean, that thing goes on for like, yeah, my whole the visuals of this movie Uh, is like, bam! I want to see this in high definition Mm -hmm. now. It was eye popping when you just saw it on a plain regular TV or screen, but I really would want to get this in Blu-ray so I could see the visual. I'm sure it's no big surprise, especially since they established they were originally trying this process with two therapists. Mm -hmm. That eventually Peter has to go in and. (laughs) 
He doesn't come out too good either. No, no, no. Although, I think that one of the nice things about this script is they never out and out say it, but they kind of, sort of, make it very clear that Peter was a seriously, horribly abused child. He has this discussion with Catherine. He was originally a district attorney. Mm -hmm. And he explains why he left being a district attorney and became an FBI profiler. And he explains it because of this one case where because of some tainted evidence they had to let the guy go mm-hmm. and the guy went and killed the person he had kidnapped. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, okay. And she says, well, it must have been a horrible thing this person went through. And Vince Vaughn says, trust me, I know from personal experience that you can go through three times worse mm-hmm. than what that guy went through and not dream of hurting another person. And you know that he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. The reason you want to see this movie is for the absolutely insane visuals. Everyone talks about dream logic a lot. I mean, we've actually mm. talked about it when we talked about Phantasm last year. Right. This is definitely a dream yeah. logic film. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the few movies I've seen that you look at and it actually looks like you're looking at somebody's dream state. Which reminds me, when I first saw this movie, it reminded me a whole lot. Do you remember years back in the 70s, there was a series of books called Weird Heroes? Yes. For those of you that aren't familiar about it, Weird Heroes was a bunch of pulp-style Characters written by comic book writers, science fiction um, writers. Uh, compiled by Byron Price. It was one of his first jobs. Yeah, I figured you would know that. Cause yeah, because I used to work for Byron you Price. you used to work for Byron Price. One of the characters that was created was called Dr. Phoenix by Marv Wolfman, mm-hmm. I believe. And right. it was about a guy that actually went into right. people's minds as a dream therapist to try to cure them from the inside. So this reminded me a lot of that. The thing that amazes me is that this is this film that like, just was just, just totally visually innovative. It had a really smart script and it just has disappeared off the face of the earth. I think part of it had to deal with the absolutely befuddling charges when it came out that it was very misogynistic and was very hateful towards women. Mm-hmm. It's weird because like the main character is a woman and that the the one victim we see, I mean, Tarsim is very clever in not showing us any of the torture. Right. In fact, the only hints we get of just how horrific this is, is in the brief glimpses we get of the videotape. When Peter is doing his presentations to Catherine and the other members of the Institute. Yeah, he doesn't dwell on it. But the one victim we see, the live victim, she fights it to every last second. In fact, you see that she's clever... When uh, later on, where she's looking for a way out to the very last minute. But people said, oh, this was hateful towards women. I think that might have something to do with the reason why. Uh, yeah, I don't know, because when it first came out, it was like, this was the movie to go see right. it. Everybody was rushing to go see mm-hmm. it. And then when it left the theaters, it really left. Even when it came out on DVD, it really wasn't much of a buzz about it. This one is its a forgotten classic, and I do suggest people check it out. Absolutely. It's a wonderful movie. As a matter of fact, now you got me ready to go get DVD right. for myself. Okay, so it's going to go back to me, right? Right. For this one, I'm going to pick one that's a favorite of both myself and Tom. We've discussed oh, this yeah. movie I don't know how many times. I personally call it the best Hammer horror right. film that never was made by Hammer. Mm-hmm. But it was made by our old friend Tim Burton. Tim Burton. From 1999, and Sleepy yet a- Hollow. And yet again, another film that features our good friend, Mr. Christopher Lee. Mr. Christopher Lee, Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Miranda Richardson. Yeah, that was the film where you first realized, man, Christina Ricci grew up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. She wasn't a little girl no more. Jeffrey Jones. Michael Gold. Michael Gold. Christopher Walken. This movie... It's supposedly a retelling of the Ichabod Crane story right. and the Headless Horseman. However, this is a version unlike any version we've ever yeah, seen before. Yeah, in fact, the only thing that you can safely say is that there is 
a character named Ichabod Crane in it, and there is a headless horseman. Because, Everything else is different. Because in this one, Ichabod Crane is not a school teacher. In right. fact, he's a police officer. Word has come down from the remote village in upstate New York of Sleepy Hollow that there been all these mysterious beheadings going on. And his boss, Christopher Lee, sends Ichabod Crane, right. played by Johnny Depp, up to Sleepy Hollow to investigate. And Ichabod Crane is a policeman who's fascinated by this new science called criminology. Ah, and forensics, yes. yes. He plans on... So he and, brings his little crime kit with him. Right. As a matter of fact, Christopher Lee says, pack up all your little gizmos and gadgets right. and say, you want to prove it yourself. It's an assignment just to get rid of him. Right. <laughs> but he goes up there because he is determined to solve this mystery. He gets to the village of Sleepy Hollow, almost immediately runs afoul of Brom Van Brunt, played by Casper Van right. Dien, who is in love with Katrina Van Tassel, mm-hmm. Christina Ricci, Ricci, who shows interest in this really big... Bizar- and Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, forget that. Because she's very intrigued. By this strange guy that right. comes in, he's got all of these theories, and he's got all these weird gadgets he uses to perform autopsies, mm. glasses with 18 lenses. Yep. He's got dark secrets in his past because there's some hints of child abuse. Yeah. Because he's got like these weird scars on his palm. And there's also the mystery of what happened to his mother. Yeah. Right. Who was played by then Burton girlfriend Lisa Marie. Yeah, so eventually Ichabod Crane doesn't believe in supernatural at all. He's a man right. of science. But he finds out that there is a supernatural element behind it in the form of the headless horseman. The Hessian horseman. The Hessian horseman, played by Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. who was going around lopping off people's right. heads. You know. Guy so brutal he had his teeth filed so he can rip out the throats of his enemy. The first time I saw this movie and I saw him on that black horse with that sword, yeah. I said, oh my God, 20 years ago he could have played Elric or Melnabone. Yeah, Because that's exactly what he looks like to me. This movie has got some amazingly gory scenes in it. Like when he goes to the tree yeah. and he's ripping it up and, and blood is right. popping out of the tree and Christopher Walken is running around lopping off people's heads left and right without a bandit. And Ichabod Crane in this one is not the coward that we know from the original story. Right. He's determined to put this demon in the ground once and mm-hmm. for all and bring order and justice or whatever you want to call it to this sleepy little village who after a while they really don't like him there at first but then they say this may be the only guy that can save us because he's the only guy willing to stand up to Mm -hmm. it like all the tim burton's movies the visuals again are amazing i've become immersed in this world i just love the look of it because it looks like uh, it could have been a hammer horror movie from the 60s yeah i mean it's got that very much that kind of tin type look to it well, you know what Burton likes to do? And I mentioned this before yeah. when we were talking about Batman Returns. Tim Burton loves making black and white color movies mm-hmm. because even the blood that's in this is not bright red arterial blood. Right. It's very darkish blood. There's really very little color at all in this movie. It's all black and white and shades of gray. The atmosphere is wonderful. The special effects are wonderful. The performances, well, what can you say? It's Johnny Depp, it's Christina Ricci, it's Miranda Richardson, it's all these other wonderful people, Jeffrey Jones. Who plays two different roles, by the way, Miranda Richardson does. Yeah, Lady Van Tassel and the crone that Ichabod Crane has to go see. Which is something else that that seems to pop up a lot in Tim Burton movies, that he seems to like having his female leads playing multiple roles. He does that in Big Fish as well. Oh, I've never seen Big Fish. I keep meaning okay, to, um, to get that and watch that one. And his now wife mm-hmm. plays several roles in that film. I mean, I'm pretty sure most of you listening to this have seen it already because it's not a new movie and most of you are Johnny Depp fans mm-hmm. and Tim Burton fans, so I'm sure that you've seen this. But if you haven't, 
then by all means, you got to go out this Halloween and you got to get your hands on a copy of Sleepy Hollow and sit there and just watch that thing mm. and just be overwhelmed by it because it's a, one of the best horror movies. I've, one of the best movies, period, I've seen. A wonderful performance by Johnny Depp who apparently can't do anything wrong now. He's what Tim Burton's alter ego mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah, but all it's like, I don't think, with the exception of uh, Big Fish, he has not done a film in the last 10, 15 years or without Johnny Depp. Without Johnny Depp. Ewan McGregor was in Big Fish. Was right. Like Martin Scorsese had right. Robert De Niro. It's more along the same line now. Can't recommend it having a Sleepy Hollow. And we're going to throw it back to Tom. So we're going from a film that looks like it should have been a Hammer Horror film yep. to a film that looks like it should have been a 70s exploitation film. Namely, Neil Marshall's The Descent. Now, we've talked about Neil Marshall before. Yes, we've we have. talked about how much I enjoy this man's work, even though I thought his most recent work, Doomsday, was a bit too derivative. Okay. This was his second film. It was the first film that was released theatrically for him in the United States. Although, once again, much like The Wicker Man, there is a little bit of a weird backstory about something that happened to this film, which is that it languished in England for a year. Nobody wanted to pick it up here in the States. When Lionsgate decided to pick it up, they felt that the ending was too bizarre. They literally chopped about two minutes off the I've film. heard that. I've said the ending was just... Like and... The one that I originally saw was the one with the chopped up ending that look, makes it look like even more of a standard horror film. Okay. Because it's like, it's a shock ending! Woo! Mm-hmm. Whereas the British ending, which is on the DVD, which I have here, okay, is more in keeping with the somewhat surreal tone of the film. It's, it's an all-girl film. Outside of the opening sequences, you're just following this group of women. Mm-hmm. But... There's only really three women that really matter in this film, which are Shona McDonald's playing Sarah, mm-hmm. Natalie Mendoza has Juno, and Alex Reed is Beth. These are three friends from college who every year get together and do something risky mm-hmm. to remind themselves to live life to the fullest. Okay. So when we first see them, they're running the rapid in Scotland. We know there's something kind of up with Sarah and Juno because we get the impression that there might have been an affair going on Mm -hmm. between Juno and Sarah's husband. Sarah is going to confront her husband about this, except there's a freak accident that kills him and their daughter. Wow. And and it's one of the the big shocks right up front. It's just like you're minding your own business and all of a sudden, wham! I jumped out of my seat when I first saw her the film in the theater. She's put in the hospital because of this accident. A year later, it's time for their annual expedition, so they go to the foothills of Kentucky to go spelunking. Not exactly a sport you would associate with women. Again, the thing is to do something really wild and crazy. Yeah, yeah, I got you. These women don't know how wild and crazy. Well, they don't find out until after they get into the cave system Mm -hmm. and a landfall cuts off their access to the place they entered in was that Juno had been lying to them and they weren't going to the cave system that they were planning on going to she thought it would be really cool if they went down to a cave system that had just been discovered a couple of months ago and hadn't been mapped before. <laughs> because she explains to Sarah that I thought it would be something new. We'd be discovered for the first time, and I thought we would name this after to your daughter. No, what I'm going to do is name this ass whooping. <laughs> I'm going to name this ass whooping, and I'm going to give you after that. And it gets worse. <laughs> this weird evidence is they're trying to find a way out of the thing. So they got to figure the best way to do it is to go deeper into the caves. Oh, sure. Fine. Let's go deeper into well, the caves. Well, there's no... They can't get up. See, if it, been, been, saying, see, if it been four black women, the yes. movie would have been over in 15 <laughs> minutes. Fuck this shit. <laughs> I'm going up. I'm going home. 
cells that he had done. You wanted to discover this cancer since you know you doing your own fat black cell. Uh-huh. I'm telling you. Uh-uh. She uh-uh. have four sisters in that movie. I think we have our script for The Descent 2. There we go. One of the problems I have with my mental illness is I have a severe claustrophobia. Right, you got the claustrophobia. Oh, so how did you sit through this movie? This is one of the things I want to talk about, is that it really, really conveys the claustrophobia that these women are feeling. And then there's like these little evidence that there's something really seriously wrong in this cave system, like mm. them coming across all these bones, yeah, okay. or coming across this beat-up, nasty-looking miner hat mm-hmm. that is from the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And they're like, somebody that was down here a long time ago. Then they find out why there are bones and why all this equipment that's like left around. Mm-hmm. It's because of the crawlers. Okay. These and- weird albino... And the thing is, is that Marshall never quite lets on whether these these miners that got lost down here and have like devolved or yeah. they're like some prehistoric throwback thingies. But they're these humanoid bat creatures that get around through sonar, and they are, in fact, meat eaters. In oh, a well, big well, of way. Well, of course. And what ends up happening is this becomes a battle of wills mm-hmm. focused on these two women, both wanting to get out. Mm-hmm. And what terrible thing would you be willing to do to get out of that situation? I liked it a lot because... It's the contrast between these two characters. And we see, particularly with Sarah, how Sarah becomes more and more primitive with each successive moment mm-hmm. in her effort to survive. We won't tell you what happens, but it does deal with that third person I mentioned, that character, Beth. Okay. And what happens to her. Mm-hmm. And who makes it happen to her. And what ultimately occurs. Now, I understood the original ending. Uh, it's pretty obvious what's going on, so I would say see what the original ending, but if you want to just see the regular shock ending, that's fine, too. Oh, okay. But you would advise everybody yeah. to go see the original? Because I've heard a lot about this movie. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. It's funny, because like, there, there are a lot of people who really hate it. I know that uh, a lot of our people... buddies at Podcrawlers, Eric and Kelly, really can't stand this film. Yeah, a lot of people I know that say, oh, man, don't go see that. That's why I didn't go see it when it was in the movie. Yeah. Because I was getting ready to go see I it. I saw that I had a lot. week before I saw Pulse. Okay. And I remember coming out of Pulse, there was a couple outside going, well, let's go and see this. I'm like, no, go see this one instead. <laughs> No, you don't want to see no, this. You don't want to see Pulse. A lot of people I know say, oh man, don't go see the descent. Don't waste your time. I said, really? Was it that bad? Very few people I know seem well, to have liked Well, I, I liked it a lot. I think it is very effective in its use of limited space. At its core, it is a spam in a cabin movie. That's mm-hmm. why I say, in a way, its roots go back to those 70s horror films with the right. teenagers going into the woods and yeah. camping. And the demon bear, or <laughs> the mad viking. Or the rabbit skunk. Or the <laughs> rabbit skunk go and eats them up. In case it's the weird bat people eat them up. Okay. But it is really good, and I do recommend it. If you like this, go back and see Neil Marshall's first film, Dog Soldiers, which is about a group of soldiers on maneuvers who encounter werewolves. So, is it back to me now? It is back to you for your last choice. For my last choice. This is a movie that the first time I saw it, HBO ran this about like 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I have no idea this was ever shown in the movie theaters. I can confirm that. It was oh, shown it was in the movie theaters. Oh, okay. Because I had no idea because I watched it like 2 o'clock in the morning and I said, I got to see this thing again. It was, it's one of those movies that came out at the very, very, very tail end of the Grindhouse circuit. Yeah, because it's got that vibe yeah. behind it. 
the name of it is Highway to Hell. It's a 1992 movie mm-hmm. directed by, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Ate De Jong. Yeah, I think so. He's but a South African director. It's the writer that's really more interesting, Brian Helgeland, mm-hmm. who went on to write and direct Payback with Mel Gibson, right. and he did a whole bunch of other stuff. But this is like one of the first things that he did. The cast in this one is very interesting as well. You got Patrick Bergen, who mm-hmm. plays Mr. Beazle, who as we find out in the course. Patrick Bergen hasn't been around much lately. I have he? no idea. It's just like he vanished. He was one of those people that a lot of people were high. I remember... Sleeping with the Enemy. Yeah. Sleeping with the Enemy. Yeah, he played... A lot the, of people were high on him He played when. the psychotic husband yeah. who that she had to have everything lined mm-hmm. up when... He opened up the kitchen cabinets, uh, all the soup cans had to be in a yeah. certain order, and he would take a ruler and measure to make sure yeah. that he was... Yeah, that was a good one. We've got Chad Lowe in this one, one of my favorite actresses, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Christy Swanson, mm-hmm. Richard Farnsworth. Pamela Gidley, who we talked about in our first obscure movies to watch, mm-hmm. who was the star of Blue Iguana, is ah, as well. And apparently the entire Stiller family. Yep. We'll also start in this one. You've got Ann Mira, Amy Stiller, Ben Stiller, and Jerry Stiller. Mm-hmm. So, your man Gilbert Gottfried is in oh, the My favorite part of the entire film. When he played Hitler in this movie. Now, just to give you the plot real quick, this is what happens. Chad Lowe and Christy Swanson are mm-hmm. young lovers, and they're going to run away to... Las Vegas, and they're going to get married. Their car is running out of gas. They stop at Sam's gas station. Played by, Richard, Richard, Sam played by Richard Farnsworth. Richard Farnsworth. At first, he tries to get them to stay here for the night. He right. says, stay here for the night, and then in the morning, go on your way. But no, they want to get to Las Vegas because Christy Swanson's father is after them. So he says, okay, go down this road. But whatever you do, don't stop. Don't go to sleep. Don't leave the road. So they say, yeah, yeah, okay, old man, whatever. They go. It turns out that they do fall asleep. They decide to pull mm-hmm. over and catch a nap. Unfortunately, this is an off-ramp sort of going on yes. the way to hell. Christy Swanson gets kidnapped by the hell cop, mm-hmm. who is a cop. He's all messed up. His face if I remember correctly, he's got the ordinances that he has to follow tattooed Tat- all over his body. Tattooed on his face. It's like his sunglasses are actually fused to his face. And he takes... Christy Swanson, he takes him back to Hell City. Chad Lowe goes back to talk to Sam, who loans him his car mm-hmm. and loans him a shotgun filled with rock salt. Because he said the only way that he can kill the Hell Cop is that he has to shoot him in the sunglasses. Right. Because uh, the eyes are the window of the soul. Right. Richard Farnsworth, he lost his wife that same way years and years mm-hmm. ago, but he just never had the guts to get in the car and go after Right. Him. But Chad Lowe does. During the course of a while, he's following the Hell Cop with his girlfriend. He runs into all these bizarre characters, such as Gilford Godfrey playing Hitler. Yes, in the... Uh, I forget what the name of the lounge was, because it's where all the dictators of the world go to die. Hitler is sitting there at a table with Cleopatra and Attila the Hun, played uh-huh. by Amy and Ben Stiller, mm-hmm. and he's protesting his innocence. <laughs> no, 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 quite vigorously. I am really only 13 years old. I like to dance around in my underwear to heavy metal music. One of these days, they're going to figure this out, and they're going to collect it, and I will go into heaven... And I will say, hello, St. Peter. St. <laughs> Peter will say, hello, Bob. <laughs> and they've got Patrick Bergen, yeah. who plays Mr. Beasel, who, as we find out, right. is actually the devil. And one of the things I like about this movie is that they have all these little things in there, but they never explain it. Like, for instance, he's always got this little boy with him. Right. They never really explain, well, who is this boy supposed to be? And, and you don't even really know what his role is in the movie because as he pops up and it's like he's helping Chad Lowe, mm-hmm. you know, to get to Hell City. 
Does he want him to rescue the girl? Does he not want him to rescue the girl? And remember, she's running a restaurant, right. a diner, or something like that. Out in the middle of hell. Right, out in the middle of hell. There's that weird machine where they're paving the road. With the Andy Warhol comes. Yeah, with, right. This is stuff that they don't explain. Well, the other ally that he has is Pamela Gidley, who turns out is Richard Farnsworth's the, lost you know, wife. Lost, who got stuck in hell, and oh, I guess she was waiting for him to come get her, but right. he never does. That weird machine, and it's dropping the Andy Warhol clones onto the road, and it's, you know... On the side, it says, Good Intentions good int- Paving Company. Good Intentions Paving Company, because, of course, the road to hell is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This movie is almost just as funny as it is hard. It's not even really all that horrifying. It's more a fantasy because you don't really see a whole bunch of gore and blood. But it's a nice little, what I like to call, quest movie. Because that's all it is. It's all about Chad Lowe trying to get to... And he's got to get back within a certain amount of time. Or he'll be trapped. Right. It's a race at the end to get his girl back to Earth. Chad Lowe is one thing I could never stand about him. He would never close his mouth. Have you ever seen him in any of his movies? His mouth is constantly hanging open. He'd drive you crazy with that. But I'm willing to put up with him because of the other actors in this movie. Patrick Bergen, wonderful, wonderful performance. Ambiguous performance. Like I said, you're not sure what he's after, whose side he's on. Distillers, even though you may say to yourself, well, what the hell are they doing in there? They basically come in and do these, like, these little comedy skits right. almost in the middle of mm-hmm. the movie. And, of course, Gilbert Godfrey right. with the whole Hitler bit. <laughs> You're sitting there wondering, well, am I supposed to take this thing seriously? Is it a comedy? Is it a horror? I guess you could call it a comedy slash horror. Right. But either way, it's a wonderfully entertaining movie. I enjoyed it. I drag it out every once in a while, and I watch it, and I have a lot of fun with it. I think you will, too. So to review, my three choices, yep. which for some reason are all the. Yeah, I know. They all started with the. Includes the 1972, not the remake, 1972. We cannot stress this enough. Do not get the remake. Magnificent story of pagan sacrifice and asshole coppery. (laughs) The Wicker Man. The absolutely stunning, visually complex little serial killer drama, The Cell. Highly recommend it. And the women spam... In a cave, (laughs) drama from Neil Marshall. I can't wait to see Neil Marshall's next film, which is going to be out next year, which is an honest-to-gosh thriller called Mm -hmm. Drive with Hugh Jackman as a movie stuntman who moonlights as a wheelman for heists. That sounds like something I want to be first in line to see. But Neil Marshall's The Descent. A movie that, if you're the least bit claustrophobic, you may want to open up all the doors and windows while you watch this Mm -hmm. one. There are only two films that have ever got me so freaked out because it goes with the claustrophobia. This one and the second part of Kill Bill. Oh, okay. That oh, was, yeah. yeah. You oh, know what yeah, sequence you were talking yeah. about. Hell, right? you know what? I'm not in the least bit claustrophobic, but I got claustrophobia yeah. from that. You know what that also reminds me of? Did you ever see The Serpent and, and the Rainbow? Oh, yeah. Where they had yeah. the extended scene where the guy was... Yeah. Man, that'll freak out. And I saw that on 42nd Street. And whoever the guy was was sadistic because they, like, turned out the lights during yeah. that scene. But my three movies, to go through them real quickly, is the 1991, The People Under the Stairs, which I recommend, again, primarily because you don't see a lot of horror movies with primarily African-American cast, and this one does have it. It's a lot of fun. It's entertaining, especially for the performance of Everett McGill, who, as we mentioned once before, runs around in full gimp yeah. dress, shooting up shit with a shotgun. Also, you got Ving Rhames in one of his first movie roles. The 1999 Sleepy Hollow, directed by Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. And I do honestly think that at this point, it, it can be legitimately called a Halloween classic. Right. Because a lot of people I know... 
they watch it. And the 1992 Highway to Hell, starring Chad Lowe and Christy Swanson, whereas she gets kidnapped and taken to hell, and Chad Lowe has to follow behind her to go rescue her. Great performances by Christy Swanson and, most notably, Patrick Bergen, mm-hmm. as well as in supporting roles, what looks like the entire Stiller family. And so there you go. Six more to add to the six we gave you last year. So you guys... Have no excuse. You got yourself, have yourself a really well-rounded Halloween, by all means. Go back and listen to the one we did last year after you listen to this one. So that'll make what? we'll be back next year, hopefully, with six more. That makes 12 movies altogether that they can choose from. So you you got a nice little horror marathon if you want. There you go. You can sit there and watch all day and all night if you want. If you take every movie that we (laughs) recommend. So we've come once again to the end of another episode. Which means it's time for... Time for you to do your thing. Do my administrative stuff. So, if you love us, you hate us, you want to give us your own recommendations for obscure horror movies you like to curl up with, all you need to do is to send us an email at betterthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. If you wanted to leave a comment on our Podomatic page, as long as that's going to last, you can go to betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Or, of course, you can join the Better in the Dark mailing list at groups.yahoo.com backslash groups backslash Better in the Dark. Remember, guys, you don't even have to just, I mean, this could be an email, it could be an MP3 if you want to have your voice played, like Des has. It's entirely up to you. We do listen, we do respond, some many times here on the episode itself. Without a doubt. So, I guess that's it for right now. So, you, can, so, yeah, you know, so I can't get over how weird this is because, like Tom said earlier, we're actually recording this September 5th. Right. And it's like 90 degrees outside, yeah. but you won't be listening to this until the end of October. Yeah, until the end of October. Imagine how weird it's going to be come November. As we promised, we're going to do our annual Christmas episode, which, as we promised, is going to cover Christmas horror films. All right. That's going to be something to look forward to. Until next time. It's goodbye from me. Uh, it's goodbye from me. I'm Jerry Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter who you are, go see that movie. Good night. Good night. God bless. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Ben and Dan of Mondo Movie, the crew at Drunken Zombie, the Joffrey Street Gang at Cool Shite on the Tube, and the members of the Better in the Dark Yahoo group at movies.groups.yahoo.com backslash group backslash Better in the Dark. Better in the Dark advises people to stay away from American remakes of foreign horror films, lest you encourage bad filmmakers to continue their crimes against movie-going humanity. Previous episodes for the show can be downloaded from betterinthedark.podomatic.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, the dark at gmail.com. Interact with the hosts and fans of this podcast at the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards105.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that when an island full of people headed by a cross-dressing Christopher Lee tells you to leave, for God's sakes, leave! Leave!